So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's our theme verse from Luke chapter 5, verse 24 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters continues our series called Encounters with Christ. Today's episode, A Healing Encounter. The Bible uses dozens of names, titles, and metaphors to describe God to help you know who He truly is. In this week's spiritual practice, you're invited to experience God in all of His riches and beauty by visiting brookwoodchurch.org slash digging deeper. And we pray that you're filled with a sense of awe as you get lost in the wonder of God. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Encounters with Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, Josh Masters. He carries our healing in his hand. Is that incredible? I feel like we don't need to preach after that song. We could, I could just let you go. But I spent a long time repairing, so I'm not going to let you. Hey, good morning, Brookwood. I'm so grateful that you're here today. Both those of you who are in the room and those of you who are joining us in our online campus, and I'm especially excited that our students are here with us today, grade 5 through 12. We're glad that you are here with us if you were not off at camp. Today we continue our summer series called Encounters with Christ, and each week we've been looking at someone in Scripture who had a life-altering encounter with Jesus. And as J.C. Thompson and I plan this series together, and we, we plan the whole thing together, our prayer has been for each of us individually and as a church, as a body, for each of us to also have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. So this morning's message is called A Healing Encounter, A Healing Encounter, focusing on the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5. So you can go ahead or t- and turn or swipe, if that's the way you roll, to, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we'll start in verse 17. And if you're using the Bible that's available here at Brookwood, it's on page 826, 826. Now, this story of the paralyzed man takes place pretty early in Christ's public ministry. He hasn't even selected all the disciples yet. He'll get Matthew after this story takes place. But even early in his career, in his public ministry, word has started to spread about this renegade preacher. He's starting to draw large crowds, and word is spreading that he has been casting out demons and has the ability to heal people. And that's where we start in. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day... While Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So the religious leaders have been hearing about this renegade teacher and all the rumors that he is able to heal people and has been claiming to heal people. So they gather, the religious leaders, they gather from all around the country to come and see what is going on for themselves. But they are not coming with an open mind. 
The last couple of weeks, JC and I have both been talking about the difference between being cynical and being skeptical or unsure. These men don't feel unsure. These men are skeptical. But as we can see from what we just read, they're in for a pretty big surprise because the text says that the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Now, why does it say that? Remember that while here on earth, Philippians 2, everything Jesus did was by permission of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So these religious leaders have come to see what Jesus is all about, and the Scripture has already told us that the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Verse 18, so some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, and they took off some tiles. Other translations said they dug through the roof. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, most of the time when people study this passage or when you hear messages about it on a Sunday morning, most of the time they focus on the faith of these men. And the whole message is about the faith of the men who lowered the man through the roof. I don't think that's what this passage is about. But it is important. So before we get to the main point, what I think is the main point of this passage, let's touch on the faith of these men before we get to the bigger truth. Who do these guys remind you of that we've talked about recently? The Good Samaritan. Very good. Ten Brookwood points to you. They remind us or they remind me of the good neighbor that JC taught us about next week, last week. Like the Good Samaritan, they're doing whatever is necessary to help this man. They're putting aside their own comfort. They're putting aside their own plans. They're doing whatever is necessary to get this man the help that he needs. And they don't give up when they hit an obstacle, do they? When they couldn't get into the house, they could have easily said, I'm sorry, man, we tried. We tried, but we can't get in. But no, they don't say that. They kept pursuing an encounter with Jesus Christ. They were pursuing an encounter. They didn't let the chaos of this world stop them. Are we willing? Here's the question for us. Are we willing to continue pursuing an encounter with Jesus when it feels like He is unreachable? Are we willing to pursue an encounter with Christ when it feels like He is out of reach? Or are we simply content to pray for five minutes and say, well, I didn't hear anything, I guess I'll move on? Listen, sometimes you've got to be willing to dig up some tile if you want to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Sometimes if you want to have an encounter with Christ, you've got to fight through the distractions that say you can't and start doing some digging. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to dig? These men put effort into an encounter with Christ. 
and they put effort into helping someone else have an encounter with Christ. And how did Jesus respond to that effort? It says he saw their faith in it. It doesn't say he saw their actions. It says he saw their faith in the action. Christ moved in response to the action that they took in faith. And that's our first fill-in on your outline. It's going to come up. This is how we build tension. Christ responds. Christ responds to faith, and he's able to meet every need. So although I don't think this passage is specifically about the faith of these men, we have to acknowledge that Christ responds to faith, and when he does, he's able to meet every need. There's no doubt Jesus responds to faith. In fact, in Matthew 13, it records an encounter where Jesus could not do miracles. It says he could not do miracles because that town didn't have enough faith. So the faith of these men is a component of what's happening next, but now we're about to dig into the deeper meaning of this passage. Let's read the rest of the encounter, the whole rest of the encounter, and then we'll break it down. Let's start in verse 20 again. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. And everyone, everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. That's awesome. So what is this really about? What is this passage really about? Last week, J.C. walked us through, as we've already said, Christ's parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And that encounter was designed to reveal something about us, designed to reveal something about our faith. And J.C. showed us, these were his fill-ins last week, an encounter with Christ reveals my attitude, my affection, what I care about, and my authority to take action. Well, as we walk through the rest of today's story, we're going to continue this outline. We're going to continue the outline that JC started. Last week, we looked at three things an encounter with Christ reveals about me. Now, in this encounter, we're going to continue by looking at three things an encounter with Christ reveals about Him. And yes, we'll make sure they all start with A, because alliteration is important. Here's the first one. An encounter with Christ reveals that He is all-knowing. An encounter with Christ reveals that He is all-knowing. He is able to see my needs. That's what it means to me. He's able to see my needs because He's all-knowing. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, He is never confused and He is never surprised. Does it say anything in here about him being shocked when the roof started opening up and a man was being lowered down into the room? 
No. He's not surprised at all. In fact, something that we often miss, the text says they lowered the man where? Right in front of Jesus. That's exactly right. Right in front of Jesus. There's nothing in Scripture that is there by accident. Every detail, even the grammar itself is purposeful. So why does it share that detail that the man is dropped right in front of Jesus? Well, think about this. We're told that the men tried to get into the house, right? They tried to get into the house, but they couldn't, which means they had no idea where Jesus was in the house when they started digging. Yet they lowered the man right in front of Jesus. You know why I think that detail's there? To show us that the all-knowing Messiah, the Mashiach Nagida, was directing this encounter from the very beginning. Jesus saw their need and he prepared to meet their need before they knew they had a need. And don't miss this, right now, right now, Jesus is preparing to meet a need you don't know that you have. Your encounter with Jesus is prepared for you before you arrive. And when that happens, when you have that encounter, Jesus knows exactly what you need out of that encounter. He sees beyond your wants, beyond your motivations, beyond your assumptions. He immediately sees your deepest need. Let's look at it again. Verse 20. Seeing their need or seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? He, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So a paralyzed man is lowered through a hole in the ceiling on a mat because he can't move. And in his mind, what do you think he's coming to Jesus for? Healing. Healing. That, it, what, you, thought, you all thought it was a trick question, except how? <laughs> he was coming for physical healing. But Jesus looks beyond what the man thinks he needs and addresses his deeper need, a spiritual need the need for forgiveness, the need to be, right with, to be made right with God. And listen very carefully. Some of us in this room and some of us online are missing out on what God has for us because we're insisting He fulfill our wants rather than allowing Him to reveal our need. Jesus is all-knowing. And Jesus is meeting needs of people who don't know that they have needs. And it's not just this man. We focus on the man coming through the roof, but it's not just him. Who else in the room is Jesus meeting an unknown need for? There's several. There's a couple. First, Jesus knew everyone that was going to be in the room that day. They are not there by accident. Jesus knew from the beginning of time who was going to be in that room, Isaiah 
They're all there because they need something out of the encounter. They're not there by mistake. And you're not here by mistake. It's not a mistake that you're here today. It's not a mistake that you students are here with us today. Everyone in this room is here for a purpose beyond what you think you're here for, beyond the reason that you came. Listen. Listen for what God is saying to you today. So he sees the deepest need of the paralyzed man. He sees the deepest need of the Jewish citizens that are in the house. But there's one more need that Jesus meets in that room, and it's a little bit more difficult. Because he's all-knowing, Jesus reveals that he knows what the Pharisees are thinking. I love the way the book of Mark puts it. It says this, immediately, listen to these words, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. He knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, and he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So what need of the Pharisees does Jesus meet? Correction. That's a tougher pill to swallow, isn't it? Sometimes our deepest need is correction from the Lord. And now that we have the Holy Spirit, correction usually comes in the form of conviction. Not always, but usually in the form of conviction. But we don't usually like it when Christ meets that need in our lives, do we? The Pharisees needed correction. A little bit later in the series this summer, we'll see and we'll look at how Peter needed correction. And although we don't like it, sometimes we need correction from God too. And we can't get to that next thing until we receive his correction. When you have an encounter with Christ, he will always see and seek to address your deepest need first. Let me give you an example from my own life. We have a monthly gathering here at Brookwood, and it's called Transformation Prayer in Caring Communities. And it's a group, and we get together, and we explore what it means to have a healing encounter with Jesus Christ together in community. Sometimes we practice transformation prayer. Other times we build relationships or just learn together, grow together. If you want more information about that, you can reach out to Care Ministries. But sometimes I go into a time of transformation prayer, and I want God to address a particular thing. I go into a time of prayer with Christ, and I want Him to address something like my crippling fear of heights because it's very inconvenient. But once we're in the session, Jesus says, actually, let's look at these feelings of abandonment you have from when your birth father left and how that affects your relationship with me. And I say, no, that's okay. I'd rather work on the heights thing because <laughs> it's super inconvenient. And Jesus says, no, because that's not what you need right now. Because this other thing is preventing you from growing in me. And in fact, whenever I've had a life-changing encounter with Christ in these prayers, it's never once been what I expected it to be about. 
We never look at what I think we're going to look at, and very often we look at things I don't want to look at. But I come out changed. And the same thing is true in our Celebrate Recovery step studies. God digs out what our need is. Jesus wants to address the need that is the greatest stumbling block in your life, not the most comfortable need you have. But we have to be willing. We have to be open. We have to invite Him. If Jesus is all-knowing, why do we continue to mandate what He does in our lives rather than surrendering to what He knows we most need? Why do we do that? He can bring you healing. He can meet your deepest need. Because he's not only all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. An encounter with Christ reveals that he is all-powerful. And that means he can meet all of our needs. Yes, Jesus addressed the paralyzed man's deeper spiritual need first, but Christ also met his immediate felt need, right? Middle of verse 24. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. He doesn't just see your deepest need. He sees all your needs. And he's able to meet every one of them. Look at Philippians chapter 4. And this same God who takes care of me will supply how many of your needs? So that the microphone can hear you? Heal me all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Heal me all your needs. There's no conditions. The problem that we usually face is that we confuse our needs with our wants. And that's because we don't have the ability to see our circumstances through the lens of eternity like Jesus Christ can. The question is this. It's whether we're willing to trust Christ's perfect view of our circumstances or if we want to trust in our own broken understanding of our circumstances. Are you willing to change the question that you are asking God? Because we have a tendency to ask God the same thing over and over and over. We ask Him again and again and again, and when we don't get a response, our reaction is, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why won't God answer me? Friends, sometimes it's because you're asking the wrong question. Sometimes it's because we're asking the wrong question. Are you willing to say, I'm going to stop asking for what I want and start asking God to reveal what I need? 
Am I willing to ask God what I need, not what I want? Because that is what we need if we're going to move forward with Christ. Let's scroll ahead. Sometimes it's easy for us to tell the difference, right, between our wants and our needs. Sometimes we can tell. For example, I want a Mustang convertible. I have my whole life. I also want a Can-Am Spider motorcycle. Or I'd settle for a Honda Shadow, but you know what? I have not yet woken up to find them in my driveway with a note from Jesus. That's because even in my deepest denial, I know those things aren't needs. That's ridiculous. Sometimes it's easy to tell the difference. But when it comes to the health of a loved one or the inability to get a job or a broken relationship or even a sick pet, the line between our wants and our needs get pretty blurry, don't they? Now, sometimes God will. Sometimes God will give us some of our wants. Sometimes we're blessed with things that we don't need because He is a loving, gracious Father. But in a way, even those things are needs. They're needs because God fulfills the wants and withholds the wants based on what He knows we need to draw closer to Him. And sometimes He fulfills seemingly impossible wants just to reveal who He is. The more impossible the want, the more He's revealing who He is. And in this particular case, the man did need physical healing, but probably not for the reason he thought he did. He needed physical healing to prove to him and everyone in the room and to the Pharisees exactly who Jesus is because Jesus Christ is the Almighty God. An encounter with Christ reveals He is almighty. It reveals that He is almighty. And that means He's not only able to meet my needs here, but my eternal needs. He's not only all-knowing to see my needs and all-powerful to meet my earthly needs, but He's also the almighty who meets my eternal needs. And that that is the core. That's what this story is about. It's not about the faith of the men who lowered this guy through a roof. That's just the catalyst. That's the catalyst for the real purpose of this encounter. This story is about the identity of Jesus Christ. Look at the passage closely. Why did Jesus heal the man's physical paralysis? What does it say? What's that, Travis? To prove his authority. Yes. And yes, I do think he had compassion for this man. And the text does tell us that Jesus was responding to the faith of the men. But Jesus himself tells us the more significant reason was to reveal his true identity. Verse 24, it's the theme verse at the top of your outline. So I will prove to you 
that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Try, try to imagine this. Try to imagine the scene if you were there, because it's not just a story. This really happened. Put yourself in the room. Jesus is guest teaching in someone's house, and he's surrounded by average citizens and these critical Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Jesus is teaching away when everyone starts getting distracted. They start getting distracted because little bits of mud start falling from the ceiling. And little pieces of rock and straw and hay, they, they start falling. And then, and then there's a little break, a little break, and some light comes into the dark room. And you have to shield your eyes a little bit. Where is that light coming from? And then the light gets bigger and bigger and then a shadow because the man's being brought over the hole. And then this guy is lowered on a mat right in front of Jesus' feet. Then without any surprise and without asking any question, Jesus sees their faith and he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. And the verb Jesus used for the word forgiven in Greek, it indicates a state of being. So Jesus is granting the man a new identity as one who is without blame. And everyone in the room freaks out. They are shocked. They are freaking out. Blasphemy. The Pharisees shout, blasphemy. Now in Jewish culture, blasphemy was the highest crime against God. And there were three levels of a blasphemy charge, kind of like what we have for first-degree murder, second-degree murder, manslaughter. It worked just like that. The lowest level of blasphemy, which was still considered horrific, it's still manslaughter level, the lowest level of blasphemy was rejecting or speaking evil of the law of Moses that had been given by God, speaking against the Scriptures. Second-degree blasphemy, we'll call it. Second-degree blasphemy was cursing or speaking evil of God himself. But the worst and most horrific type of blasphemy was claiming to have the same rights and authority as God, to usurp the role of God. Think about that, my friends who struggle with codependency. Verse 21, now Jesus is here. He's claiming to forgive sin, the highest level of blasphemy. And verse 21 says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is that is blasphemy? Only God, catch this phrase, only God can forgive sin. And what's interesting about the way Jesus corrects them is that he does not challenge their definition of blasphemy because they're right. That is the definition of blasphemy, and only God can forgive sins. So instead of challenging their definition, Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? Now, anyone in the room could say the words, your sins are forgiven, but it wouldn't mean anything because you can't prove it. There's no tangible outcome in front of you 
that tells you whether the person is telling the truth or not. But who in this room can tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk and go home? So Jesus says to the Pharisees, so I will prove to you, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. The Pharisees say only God can forgive sin, and essentially what Jesus is saying here is, yes, you're absolutely correct, but here's the thing. I am God, and I will prove it to you. And then he heals the man. But beyond the healing itself, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That's the title Jesus most often used for himself. In fact, he calls himself the Son of Man over 80 times in the gospel, 8-0. But there's a huge misconception about this title, the Son of Man. Most people believe, many people believe, that Jesus specifically uses the phrase Son of Man to identify with his humanity and to show humility. No. He does identify with with his humanity. He does show humility to the Father, but that's not why he uses that title. Anyone know where the title Son of Man comes from? It comes from a vision that Daniel had in the Old Testament, a vision that he had of God's ultimate victory over evil in the end of the age. And he wrote this, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. I saw him coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One, that's the Father. And he was led into his presence. And then he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the Father, but make sure you understand, at no point did he ever humble himself in obedience to man. By calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, I'm the eternal one. I have authority and sovereignty over everything. He doesn't dispute their claim that God is the only one that can forgive sin. Instead, he claims his authority as God to forgive sin. And last week, J.C. talked about our authority as believers, our authority to take action, and he was 100% right. But any authority that we have is directly tied to the almighty authority of Jesus Christ. These men claimed authority These men claimed authority in faith to break open a roof, but Jesus Christ can break open the heavens. He has the authority to wash away sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. And what was the response of those in the room? Verse 26 says, everyone, 
everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. And what stuck out to me when I was preparing, when I was reading this, and I can't even tell you how many times I've read this passage, but I never noticed this before. What stuck out to me was the word everyone. Because in my head, the way I remembered the story, the Pharisees went away angry like they always do, because that's what usually happens with the Pharisees. But this says everyone went away praising God. So I checked Mark, because this story is in the book of Mark, and you know what it said? It said they were all amazed, everyone. So I went to Matthew, and it said the whole crowd, everyone praise God. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe when encounter with Christ revealed His true identity. And although wonder and awe is it's an accurate translation, it softens the tone. The Greek word translated as awe is phobos. It's where we get the English word phobia. It means reverent fear and terror terror. Jesus is the almighty God of the universe. And when He reveals that, it is more than humbling. It's terrifying. It's terrifying because you suddenly see yourself in comparison to His holiness and realize all the comparison that you've been doing against other people means nothing. But the terror didn't make them cower. It made them go away praising God. You know why? They went away praising God because they'd finally experienced God instead of just hearing about Him or reading about Him or being told about Him in the temple. It changed them. Listen, the fear of God, seeing who He really is and seeing who we are in comparison to Him, that should be terrifying. People say, God doesn't want us to be afraid. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. But that terror, that fear leads to peace and security. When you realize that this terrifying holy power is working in love to meet your deepest need. Don't raise your hands, but if you're honest, how many, how many of you are resisting an encounter with Christ because you're afraid of how it will change you? and don't settle for hearing about God. He wants to fill your life with purpose and meaning. Christ wants to bring you healing. And it might be physical healing, but more likely it's emotional healing or spiritual healing. But know that every single human being walks through this life with wounds, wounds that Jesus is able to forgive and to clean and to heal.
And listen, if you're afraid of having an encounter with Jesus Christ because you don't know what's going to happen, that's okay. Because Jesus is all-knowing. He knows what needs to happen. And maybe you say, I can't truly do what God wants me to do or go where God wants me to go because I don't have the resources. That's okay because Jesus is all-powerful. And he's able to meet your need. Or maybe, maybe you think you can't be close to God because you're not good enough. And the truth is, you're not. But Jesus is almighty. And the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin on earth and transform lives. Whether this is your first service in any church or you've been sitting in a church for 40 years, whether you're one of our students here today or you're 80 years old, you can be healed. You can be transformed. God can give your life new purpose and new life. And we want to take those steps with you. We will walk with you. We will have pastors and care volunteers down front and in the Care Connection Room to answer your questions and to pray with you. In our online campus, you can click the Speak to a Pastor button that's coming up in your chat window. Listen, whatever the distractions are in your life, it's time to start digging up some tile. Let's start digging. Let's start digging together. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who sees our deepest needs. That you have arranged for us to be laid right in front of you, even when we had no idea where you were. You directed us in front of you. And you're all-powerful to meet today's needs, and you're almighty to meet my eternal needs. You are a God that is worthy of praise and worthy of worship, and we pray that you would break down the walls that are preventing us from seeing the deepest need that you want to meet today. Change our hearts and our minds and make us a people who have a consuming compassion like we sang today. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. so that we can bring this truth of transformation and healing to a broken world. In the name of Christ, who is our almighty healer and savior and king, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from Luke chapter 5, verse 24. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. At Brookwood Church, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.